Amen. Let's just raise our hands in the house this afternoon. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we worship a God who has revealed himself right throughout the ages and then most perfectly in the person of Jesus. And Lord, when we're singing, there is no other name but Jesus. It's because you, Lord, are the, the ideal, ultimate human being, fully man, yet also fully God, and bringing the fullest revelation of what it is to live as a human, but also the fullest revelation of who God the Father is. And Lord, we, we praise you. There is none other like you. There is no one else in all of creation, in all of history that could claim to have lived as you lived, to have the power that you have, to have been there in the beginning, before the beginning of time as we know it, with your Father who is in heaven. And Lord, we thank you that today we have the privilege of walking with you. Lord, we ask you today that you would send your spirit to minister to our hearts. Lord, that something of the way that you see this world awaken in our hearts as you call us to live as your people for your glory. Lord, we pray that you would uh, sharpen our hearts, sharpen our thinking, sharpen us in our pursuit of you because we want to live a life that would bring you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Wonderful. Why don't you take a moment, say hi to someone around you just as you're taking your seats, giving them a smile. Thank you so much to the worship team for being with us here this afternoon. It's great to have all of you here. Now, we're starting a new series today, Thy Kingdom Come, Walking by Faith, Not by Sight. Sorry, it's not in the Revival Times this month, uh, but I'm starting off the series today, and next week, Chris Shimon will be here, newly married, so give him a big cheer when you see him, uh, seeing and thinking by faith and not by sight. So do join us next week, and the series will continue right throughout the month. You all doing well? All of you ready to vote on Thursday? Now, we'll never tell you from the platform at all. It's not our interest to tell you who to vote for, but it is our interest to tell you to vote. Don't miss out on the opportunity that you have to um, get out there and make your voice heard and, and make a difference. It's a, definitely a, a, a crucial time in the nation, and as we've been praying, we're asking God for His grace that He would give us a government of His grace rather than the government that we would deserve. And, uh, it, Dwelling on that might bring some fresh challenges to your thinking. So today, we're going to be covering a, uh, uh, the beginning of a new series, and the message title that I have for today is Faith, the Key to Kingdom Manifestation. Starting today with a passage from John chapter 9, we're going to make some references to it and then come back to it uh, throughout. Let me start with verse 1. <clears throat> As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. In between this and verse 30, there's a little bit of a dispute. He's found healed, a man that was born blind, and the Pharisees don't believe that this man, uh, they don't believe the situation. They don't believe that this was the man born blind. Then they don't want to agree with who it was that healed him. And then they want to 
uh, chastised Jesus for healing him because he did so on the Sabbath. And so there's a string of events that precede this next section, verse 30, when we find the man giving a fresh testimony to what Jesus has done in his life. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where Jesus comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And the Pharisees answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Let's think about this story in the context of the message that we're going to be covering today, the coming of the kingdom of God, seeing the kingdom of God revealed. And this story, like every other story about the life of Jesus, is an opportunity for us to look in to God's glory as it is revealed, as His will is manifested on the earth through healing, through deliverances, through resurrections, through salvations, the kingdom of God being manifested in this world. And we remember when we look at stories like this, the great prayer that Jesus taught all of us to pray, in which there is this line in Matthew 6, verse 10, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Put a pause on this just momentarily because I want to paint a little bit of a context for us in our thinking today about who we are saying God is and how God interacts with this universe. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice? and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding. This is just a little excerpt from a, a great discourse from the prophet Isaiah who is painting a picture of the majesty of God. And we see here described in these short images and presentations something of the scope and scale of who God is. It says, who could in the hollow of his hand carry and measure all of the waters of this world. Now, whenever you go to the sea, you'll notice uh, if you step beyond just a little paddling your feet section into the deeper waters, you'll start to notice very quickly how overwhelming the sea can be, especially if you're not wary and, and conscious of the riptides and undercurrents. There's one time in my life uh, where I was on a mission and, you know, every now and then we're allowed a day off when we're on mission. So I went to the beach and I was swimming in the waters, and it was all great. And at the end of the beach, there was a big river washing out. And I didn't 
think or recognize that actually the span of the current from that river would not just be at the section where the river was, it would probably affect quite a lot of the beach. And pretty soon I found myself, even though I was a good 200, 300 meters from this river, being pushed out to sea. And I literally had a moment where I thought I'm going to die. Uh, I was waving at the surfers and they were just looking at me. <laughs> and then one of them, like after about 10 minutes, and I figured I really, really had about three or four minutes of strength left. Um, he comes over, pushes his board out to me, he says, um, next time, man, be more careful. It's like, thanks. Next time, be quicker. <laughs> but it says, who can measure all of the waters in simply the hollow of his hand? Or measure the heavens in a distance from his thumb to his pinky? This is describing some of the majesty, some of the glory of God. And really, when we start to talk about God in such terms, we start to see him in a lot more of the real light of who he is. And what is it that we believe then? about how God created this universe. We believe that God is and of himself perfect. If he wasn't, he wouldn't be God. If God needed to create the universe, to create us, it would suggest that he had something deficient in himself which would make him less than the title God requires. The word God is intended to denote the ultimate conceivable being. So if he was imperfect in a way, then there would be one who is greater. But God, perfect in and of himself, lived in his world. A realm of possibility, a realm of peace, a realm of joy, a realm of faith, and ultimately a realm of love. And in this place, God is glorified as holy, as glorious. And it's at points like this, I wish I had my... Uh, Whiteboard is, is in class to kind of draw an illustration, but maybe we can paint the illustration in such a way that you could see it. Now imagine God determining in his heart that he wanted to create a universe which could celebrate and enjoy him, his nature, his attributes, his quality, his person, his essence. And so God chooses to create a universe. Now, in the way that I've positioned this, the universe is here and God is here, outside of this universe. Now, the concept of that terminology refers to his transcendence, that he is much greater than the entirety of the universe. But before you start to think that I only think that God's in that position, let me explain. You see, there are the teachings of the Quran, or the intelligent designer in the context of a, the God of a Big Bang, where in their theology or in their description, they describe a God who simply defined the parameters in which the Big Bang could occur, pressed go, watched it happen, stood back, said, that's me, that's my bit done, okay, I'm on to something else. That's the description of God that they might use. When you talk about or try to talk about that God, you, you use terms that such as he is unknowable, incomprehensible. If you try to define him, then you're already wrong because God is so great that we cannot define him. That's the idea of transcendence taken to its extreme. 
But where we distinguish ourselves in Christianity and where the God of the Bible chooses to reveal himself, which is the right context for understanding this, um, you might have heard R.T. referring to a particular philosopher who came up with the philosophy in the 18th century that God was merely human beings' construct projected onto the fabric of the universe, i.e., as to say, that we created God. But much rather, we understand that the Bible is God's self-revelation. And this is where we begin to lead to a different point where God, the God of the Bible, permeates and reveals himself throughout the entirety of creation. And this is known as his immanence. So transcendence and immanence. And the simplest way for us to understand this is in him we live and move and have our being, as Paul makes reference to. Now, before you start running off thinking I'm talking about pantheism, that's different. That would, pantheism would suggest that God is, oh, sorry, everything is God. We believe that God is in everything. It's distinct. God fills, upholds, sustains everything by the word of his mouth. So we're talking about a God who transcends the universe but chooses to interject into the universe, imminent through the universe, who makes himself available, discernible, so that we can see him. And sadly, this decision on his part has led to many, crit many to critique him, to cr critique his role in creation, especially, especially concerning his apparent inactivity concerning the fallen nature of creation. Now, there's plenty of evidence out there that God himself has revealed to us concerning the reality that he exists. It, 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 actually, the evidence is so strong that it says in the Bible, he who says that there is no God in his heart is a fool. So evident is he in his creation. But people still criticize him. People still say, what is God doing? Some of the more religious types might say such things as, uh, uh, trying to hold the transcendent view of God, is it possible for man to know God? I mean, God, being God is so amazing, so wonderful, so powerful, so uh, mysterious. Can we know him? And are you Christians trying to make too simple or plain a point of who he is? But I believe it is possible to know God. God reveals himself. He reveals his nature. He reveals his attributes through the way that he interacts with us. And most particularly, and the highest revelation really, is of his father nature towards us. But that's held in tension with his holiness, his righteousness, his justice, his truth, his creative power, and so on and so on. I bet you weren't expecting this at 2.30, but I'm going to keep going. I enjoy this stuff. So we might ask the question, is it possible to know God? But then the others who ask this question, if there is a God, why does he permit suffering? If I were him, I would end war, sickness, famine, so on and so on. I wonder if you've ever thought about this, that the type of person that would highlight that question is usually the type of person that will also say, I don't want to serve God. I don't want to honor God. And there is a great conflict here when you start to go down that line. The person who's saying, I do not want to honor God, then saying God should fix everything. Because if you think about it, what they're actually saying is this. God, you should and need to, it's not even really a suggestion, it's a command from my side. You should and need to take control of every single human being, 
make them behave better towards each other so that there's no war, there's no conflict, there's no uh, one person having lots of food and others not having any food. You need to make all that happen, but at the same time, you're not going to control me. How does that work? You should do it to everybody else, (laughs) but not me. And this is the problem that we have. You see, God has given us that opportunity to choose to walk in faith with Him or not. And the consequences of faith and walking with Him is restoration, healing, wholeness, as much as is possible in this fallen world. The choice not to, wars, famine, sickness, disease, that people continue to insist upon empowering because they refuse to surrender to the Lord. I don't know if you've heard this quote before, but it's a powerful one. Uh, An editor in a newspaper wrote the question, what's wrong with the world? And G.K. Chesterton, a great theologian, wrote back saying, sir, I am. You see, there's something that comes with when God reveals himself to us. That we have a responsibility to hold and interpret correctly who he says he is and what his nature is. We need to broaden our view of God to contain or try as much as is possible for us to contain what is revealed to us through the scriptures. See, the transcendent God of glory, who is imminent throughout the universe, is benevolent. Too many long words. Say it another way. God not only is good, but desires the greatest good for his creation. And he intends ultimately that for us to experience this great goodness, we would encounter him because in him we find perfection and in him we enjoy what our purpose, created purpose is. And in that we give him the glory. So we need to hold at least four attributes that I've covered today, perfection, imminence, goodness, creative power, and there's many, many more alluded to. But you see, we serve a God outside the circle who is moving and working in and through the universe. And the way that God reveals His glory through creation is to execute His perfect will in an imperfect world. Revelation 22, verse 12 to 13 says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the last, sorry, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And in this, we start to see some of God's purpose in His imminence. He has a plan that He is bringing to fruition. He has gone to the end, seen it, come back to the beginning, and started it. And Arti made reference to this idea of open theism. I don't know if you have heard of it, but the concept being that at this point in time, God is sort of watching, sitting on the edge of His throne of glory, thinking a lot about us. And apparently, he's thinking, uh, guys, uh, ladies, uh, tell me what do I do next? Uh, what are you going to do? Okay, if you do this, I would do that. But if you do this, I will do that. So what are you going to do next? And somehow saying that God is dictated to by his kids. Now, that must be a very disillusioned father who came up with that kind of thinking, probably tired of his kids running around doing whatever he wants and having to learn how to go and do whatever the kid wants him to do. 
instead of understanding his role. But that's another point. That he has already been at the end. And he is working out his purposes in and through that. And one of the most complex things that we may never understand is that he does so with us all the time exercising and free to exercise our will in that context. Now that determines something of the majesty of God, the glory of God. Important point to make. Every one of us has a part to play in that plan. Every one of us has a position to fill in that plan. It's not always going to be what we think it should be. But he is definitely going to get the glory through us taking our place in his purposes. You might ask us, or ask me, why have you gone off on all of this other stuff to discuss the issue of faith? And what has all of this got to do with our being challenged as good Pentecostals to become more full of faith? See, faith is that connection between the invisible God who transcends and yet emanates throughout creation. It's our connection between Him to bring what is real in His world into reality in our world so that God's kingdom can be established in our world. See, we're not going to need faith the same way that we need it now when we're with Him in heaven. Why? Because we'll see Him in heaven, because we'll walk with Him in heaven, because we'll experience a new heavens and a new earth, which will have an entirely different set of parameters to this one. But what we have right here, right now, is a broken world that is on a trajectory towards destruction that God is asking us to intervene in and bring the kingdom of God, to bring a revelation of His plan, to bring a revelation of His purpose, to bring a, a show of what is to come. See, every miracle, every sign, every wonder is intended to show what is to come, the kingdom of God, the glory of God being revealed in and through us so that we look forward in hope and say, God, you know what? I'm looking forward to being in heaven because if this is anything to go by there, it's going to be awesome. Not, oh, well, that's nice. Hurry up and finish up this place then because this isn't great. We want to get there real quick. No, much rather let's enjoy the walk of faith, enjoy the exploration, enjoy what God wants to do in the here and now. So all of that then speaks into one simple thing, and let's take it back to the story that we were just reading. It's a question of purpose. The God who is filling the universe, who has determined every star's name, who set the limit of the sea, who sets the heights of the mountains, is the one who comes to you by the Spirit of God and invites you to take your place in his purposes. See, God has a plan and a purpose for you, particularly and personally, because in you fulfilling your plan and destiny, you reveal something of his glory. And we bring it back to this young man sitting by the side of the road, relatively 40, John 9, Jesus saying this, it was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Purpose. The disciples come looking at this man exactly like all of us would come looking at this man. Trying to explain how he got to where he was. Was it his parents? Was it his own decision? Did they do something wrong in the way that they were 
nourishing themselves while in pregnancy? Did they do something wrong by committing such a heinous sin that the curse of God upon the baby was going to be that they were blinded? Did they wrong somebody else and God judged them? Did God know that this young man was going to do something so bad that he gave him the curse of blindness from the beginning so that he would not be able to fulfill it in the end? All of us do the same thing when we come up across a person who's already messed up somehow in their life. Did they not try hard enough in school? Did their mother not love them? Did their father abuse them? Did they have no parents? Did they live in a particular, particularly poverty scenario? Did they um, have some kind of sickness debilitating at the beginning of their life that has inhibited them? Or did they go through an accident? What is it that we can use to define and describe how that person deserves to be here at this point in time? That's how the whole world sees it. What person expected what Jesus said? What person expected this new life opportunity for this man? It's nothing to do with whether his, he sinned or his parents sinned. What? what? Well, if it's nothing to do with whether his parents sinned or he sinned, then, then surely God is unjust. God is, God is, how dare he give somebody this sickness of blindness or this, this ailment of blindness from birth? How dare he do so? Might be the way that we would see it. Might be the, would be the way that we think about it. But no, Jesus brings the, the real point, the real truth, that it wasn't because of sin, and neither was it because of God's ill will against him. But much rather, at this point, this man could step out of the life that he'd lived up until this point and step into the, God, the, uh, the plan and purpose that God had prepared for him. And this is what all of us are given the privilege of doing. See, I think that it's great that he never mentions the name of this young man who is born blind. Because we'd then say, well, that was him. You know, Lazarus was the one who was raised from the dead. And Levi was uh, the one who got called from behind the tax collector's desk. And, you know, what, God needs to call me by name. But what we see here is an anonymous person. He knew his parents. They knew him. We don't know him today. But all of us have something similar. It might not be physical blindness. It might have been spiritual blindness. It might be other, some other physical ailment. It might be some situational limit. And you could be asking yourself the question, like this man was probably asking like all of us would expect, God, why me? What did I do? Who was it? You know, they came to bring the same questions of him that he had probably asked himself the whole time. God, why am I here? I don't know if you cry the same. Why have I got my parents? Why have I got this situation? where people don't love me? Why have I got this situation where I can't get a job, I've got so many skills and no one appreciates me? Why me? See, that's what life can be like when we're living outside the purpose of God. Versus a question that I want us to grow to ask 
in the future. God, what is it you're doing? I want to know your ways. I want to understand your purposes. What is going on here? See, that's a question that Jesus asked. That's why he knew the answer in this situation. He didn't go, okay, uh, 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 mm. let me think about this guy. I'm not quite sure. He goes, no, 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 so that the will of God might be revealed in this man. He knew something of what God was going to do. He knew something of his plan. And you know, Jesus, in his statement here, this man was chosen to reveal the purposes of God. His purpose was to reveal the powerful healing that God can do. A man born blind 40 years later suddenly seeing, he chose to tell us something important. That at this point, 40 years on, he had reached a point where he could fulfill the destiny of God in his life. That means God knew that this was going to happen. That means that God knew the starting point when this boy was conceived in his mother's womb, when whatever was going on with his development of his retina or the nerves or the, the whatever parts of the eye that were inhibited so that he couldn't see, he knew from that point that there was going to be something wrong with the, with the boy. But because he knew the end point when he'd reveal the glory of God. You know what's interesting about the fact that you're here, and this is something that Miles Monroe says, uh, who's enjoying heaven right now, but it's such an amazing perspective. The God who knows the end from the beginning has already been to the end and seen and chooses to go back to the beginning and initiate. The fact that you're here today means that you have a plan and a purpose for your life. He's already seen you at the end. He's already seen you going to do what you're going to do. He's already seen who you're going to become, and he decided to initiate your life. So you might be looking, sitting here thinking, oh, you better hurry up. It's already been 40 years. Some of you look like it's been 60 or 70. You better hurry up with his plan. But the very fact that you're here listening to a sermon, seeking God in your heart, means that something is happening in your life concerning the will of God. Something is happening in your life concerning the purposes of God in your life. God who knows the end from the beginning. Another way of looking at this is this. You know, when you walk around and see houses or you look at this church, do you think that some guys just came and started stacking bricks and this happened? Do you think that the nice house that you live in, you might wonder, like especially when you look at your landlord now, did you see those photos of the landlord who had a tree growing through the wall of a house and people had to hang their stuff around the tree because of the way the house was positioned? It's crazy. But um, do you think that your, your house just suddenly appeared? No, the fact that your house exists means that somebody somewhere architected. Somebody somewhere brought together all the resources. Somebody somewhere decided to build those things one on top of another and built out the house that you now have the privilege of living in. The fact that you're here is very much a similar representation. God has counted your days. God knows your end. But you don't, perhaps. You perhaps are missing out on what God's plan and purposes are. And this is where... God has given us the great gift, a great gift of faith that works through vision. The visions 
of the future that God has revealed to you are so that you know the path to walk forward towards his purpose for you. Rather, let's say it a different way. When you start to walk out your purpose, when you start to walk out what God has made for you to do, you will start to see the things that he has intended to happen through your life happening. With this said, I know that I'm talking to people here today in the room who are here because you're supposed to be here, not here because you want to be here. Let me qualify what I mean. I'm not saying that you didn't wake up with joy in your heart to say, you know, I need to go to Kensington Temple today because, you know, the worship's going to be great and Gabriel's going to be preaching. I'm not saying he said that. What I may be saying is this. That you woke up and came to church today because you want to keep your toe in the kingdom. And everything else doing whatever else you're doing, but you got your toe in the kingdom. And you're saying things like, God, I know the call of God. I hear you. I know what you're saying to me. I know you've got a plan for my life. Got my toe. Saving my space. But the rest of me is partying. Woo! But my toe is in space. God, your plan is on the back burner. I'm going to wait. And maybe you're saying things like this. I'm going to wait until I've had all the fun like the prodigal son. I'm going to wait till I've done that. Then I'm going to come and fulfill my purpose. <laughs> and God, you better keep my seat warm. Or you might be saying, you know what, God, the <laughs> word says that sin, you know, is going to bring destruction to my life, but I love it. I just love it. And so, you know what, uh, I'm going to keep my toe in by coming and turning up. And one day, I'm going to become so holy and righteous that you're just going to have to put me on the front cover of Charisma magazine. Because I'm going to be so full of faith and working signs and wonders and miracles. But just for right now, I've got my toe in the kingdom. Expecting that the rest of the body is going to be having fun with just your toe in the kingdom. What happens when you step full-blooded, full-bodied into the kingdom of God? What happens when you position yourself right where God wants you? What happens when you say, God, the creator of the heavens and the universe, you've got a plan for me? Little old me? You've got a plan for my life? The supernatural God who created the heavens and the earth wants to walk with me? That's the wrong perspective. You get to walk with me, is what he says. <laughs> but really? I get to walk with you? Well, why am I messing around? with stuff that's not even satisfying me anyway. Every time I try to run forward, I get knocked back. Every time I look for love, it gets denied. Every time I try to climb the ladder, I get pushed down like I'm on the snake. Instead of saying, God, I've got to part myself fully in a place where I can live the purpose that you created me for. That's the place to live. 
No, I'm, I'm blessed. I consider myself blessed because I was on the snakes and ladders trip all the way back down to ground zero and beyond ground zero. And when God decided to pull me out, I sit in my desk sometimes now and I think, I thought I knew what life was about. I thought I knew what I was about. But every gift that God has given me, every uh, characteristic that is in my personality, he's given me to be able to do exactly what I'm doing now. Preaching, teaching, leading, encouraging, organizing, everything that I do, I'm like, God, wow, you knew. 33 years ago, or even before that, you knew. When I was a mess, rolling down the hill, sick down my top, he knew. When you're trying to roll down a hill full speed, you know that that's not the right direction to be going. What are you trying to run away from God for? What are you trying to run away from his call on your life for? You know, some of you know exactly what I'm saying when I say this. Do you push pause on what God called you to be because you're running around doing everything else that you thought everyone else wanted you to do versus what God wanted you to do? You may be messed up and made so many mistakes and let so many people down that you said, you know what, <laughs> I'm going to have to start rebuilding my reputation for a little while. Pause on my life, God, and let me get everybody else happy again. Are you happy, okay? Are you happy, okay? Are you happy, okay? And we're just running around trying to make everybody else happy and looking at our dreams and wondering where they're at. Maybe you're the artist, budding artist, whose parents always wanted you to be the doctor or be the lawyer. Maybe you're the person that has a gift from God in terms of creativity, but you're sidelined in administration. Maybe you're the person that is trying to move forward in the midst of having made some mistakes and wanting to paint a life that the Christian church might accept and keeping your little piece on the side and saying, one day, God. And God's saying, come on now. I made you exactly as you are. I gave you all the gifts that you have. I want you to flourish in that area. And right now, you just got your toe in your destiny. Right now, you just got your toe in the purposes of God. Right now, you're trying to do stuff that's good and nice, not just diminishing that. It's good and nice, but it's not what God's given you to do. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do when you recognize that there's a life of faith that God is calling you to live? to start to take step by step, go deeper in the plan and purpose of God, start to reach out by faith and say, God, I need to see your plan and purpose in my life. I need to see it happen. I need to see your purposes happen. See, first, we're created for a purpose. Walking towards that purpose requires our vision, requires for us to see, maybe even just seeing in part. You see, this guy, when he first saw, he didn't know who had healed him. All he knew was that some dude called Jesus, and all he knew that he was, must have been a holy man because, well, who else can open eyes? He must be some kind of a prophet. And then Jesus comes back and finds him and says, hey, hey do you believe in the Son of Man? And he says, I would if I knew who he was. Boom, Jesus reveals to him the next step. Now suddenly this guy has put his faith in Jesus, and he's worshiping Jesus. Do you think that Jesus stopped there? You think that that was it with this guy? 
This guy just had his eyes opened to the possibilities of life, to what he was created for so the glory of God might be revealed in him. Do you think that guy hung around Jesus for a little while? I need to get everything I need to get from you, Jesus, because you give me a testimony to give you glory, so I'm going to run around and tell people about you, but I need to know who you are first. Step. Oh, Jesus, can I pray for somebody else who's blind to see? Sure. Step. Hey, can I go to this other city, my home city where I came from, to tell them the gospel? Sure. Step. Walking out his destiny, the plan and purpose of God for his life. You, God is calling you with your eyes wide open, with knowing that there's a purpose for your life to start to move forward. I don't know if arts is of God. Walk into any museum or gallery. Look at how they sought to glorify God in the past. Now, of course, there's all of the issues with iconography. You're not going to start worshiping a painting, are you? Rather, the opportunity that you have to paint that painting enables other people to see something of the creative power of God. Oh, I don't know if dancing is of God. Talk to some of our creative team. They're amazing. They are, they're living for God, dancing in the world, but dancing in a way which glorifies God, performing in a way which glorifies God. Oh, I don't know if, you know, banking. You know what? We need ethical bankers. We need people who live for the glory of God in the world of bankers. That means Christians, right? But start a step out the plan and purpose of God for your life. Hebrews 11, 1 to 3 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. See, when Jesus asked the guy to put his faith in him and said to him, I am the Son of Man, he wasn't doing so asking him to follow him blindly. In fact, the opposite's true. Saying, now that you've seen the miracle, come. None of us are called to follow God blindly. Now that we've seen the miracle, we walk with Him. In the same way that somebody you trust might come to you, and, you know, this is, I've eaten already, so I don't know why I'm thinking like this, but someone comes to you that you trust, and they say, come on, now we're going to go to a great restaurant. Okay, I'm coming. <laughs> I don't even stop to ask because I trust them, right? Same with God. God who has revealed Himself to us, saving us, redeeming us, bringing us back to life, saying, come on now. Okay, God, where are we going? Let's go. Are we going to the park to witness to people? Are we going to work? What are we going to do? Where are we going to get to be? Because every opportunity that you have to get to live out this walk with God makes all the difference. Now, I wanted to stop here and make a point. Some of us are too confused about what the will of God is in our life. Sometimes we think that God has to do everything in us for us to genuinely be anointed. This is why there's some sort of false perception that we're supposed to be perfect people up here. If you ever think we're perfect, please stop thinking that. We're very much not. Very, very much not. We're trying to walk for Jesus, but far from perfect. Okay? But the point being that sometimes you think, okay, for me to really be a Christian, I have to save the world, get my whole office praying in tongues every day. I have to be the richest person with a proof of the testimony, the provision of God. I can't have any sickness and any sorrow in my life. If anybody dies in my extended family while I didn't have enough, no, come on now, that's ridiculous. God has a specific and purposeful plan in you. What is it? To be a Christian testimony in your workplace? Yes. To be a, a, a strong contributor in your family or leader in your family? Yes. 
But what's most important? To day by day walk with Jesus. What does that look like? It looks like turning some of your frowns upside down for realizing that the God of glory is allowing you to walk with him. It looks like you taking joy in the opportunities that God has for you, even if it looks like it's persecution. It looks like saying, God, what can we do here? What can we do there? Don't be confused by expecting everything for you to become. Much rather, it's connecting with your specific purpose. Please don't fall into the other trap on the other side. Okay, for me to really achieve my purpose, I must have a nice big house, I must have the best job, I must have a nice car, I must have a great partner and be dressed well. See, that's the material world. Don't equate spirituality to the material world. Equate your spirituality to how, much, how well do you do at loving your enemy? How well do you do at walking transparently with your brother and sister and letting them know the real challenges that you're facing in life? How well do you do at seeking God on a daily basis when you don't feel like it? How well do you do in terms of trying to reveal the glory of God and what he would do in a difficult scenario and situation? Something that happens in that from faith. Now, I'll leave the other lot to talk a little bit more about how to walk out in faith from Chris next week and so on. But let's just take an image. Now, you know my lovely wife is sitting over here, Rebecca. That's an image of faith right there. Because she's eight months pregnant. If I suddenly disappear in a month, it's not because I've left the church. Don't panic. It's because we've got a great gift from God. You see, we know that baby is going to appear very soon. Why do we know that? Because of evidence, because of biology, because of scans these days so you can see the baby. Now, we don't know the sex, so don't tell us. We don't want to know. If you think that you're somehow a prophet from God, you're not. If God, if God is being silent on the issue, please. But you see, we know that a baby's coming. And this is what faith is very much like. You see, God has given us all a gift of faith. And what is it that we know is going to happen? The God who is good, who has a plan, who has a purpose, is going to bring something to life through us. Might not be the way you think it's going to be, but it's going to be something. You're going to make a difference to the right person. You're going to be in the right place at the right time. You're going to see somebody get healed or just see somebody loved who needs to be loved. You're going to see somebody lifted up out the pit who needs to be lifted out the pit because you are walking in that gift of faith. Now, this isn't God gift. Okay, great. I'm going to exercise it. This is God gift, partnership, senior partner, junior partner, walking in faith with God. See, faith is entirely a relational issue. This is where we get it so wrong when we're like, oh, you don't have enough faith. What? Why is it anything to do with you alone? It's you walking in faith with God, relationship with the one who can do it, partnership, believing that he will. And Jesus knew this and taught us this better than anybody else. He said in uh, John 5 verse 30, I can do nothing of myself. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. That's the truth about faith, is that God has invited us to partner with Him, to walk with Him, to see His plan and purpose 
in our lives. And if I encourage you with anything, it's to know this. Right where you're sitting right now, God's with you. He's probably with everybody else who's behaving better than you is what you might be thinking. But no matter how messed up or how lost you might feel right now, God is right there with you. And I want to challenge you to start to step out and believe God for some great faith breakthroughs. To say, God, you know what? I want to see (laughs) your plan operating through my life. I want to fulfill my purpose. What am I made for? You know, this Fully Alive course is a great program for just highlighting the issues of what it is to be a man of God, what it is to be a woman of God. And that's not about the roles. It's about how we reveal the glory of God. Such great, great and amazing material. But I want to unpack something beyond that. You all need to step into your great faith breakthroughs. But I want us also to think about how we can bring that strength to something greater. Let me pause on this little theological discourse for a while and talk a little bit about group dynamics. There's a great book out there called Tribal Leadership. I don't think it's written by a Christian and don't get freaked out by the word tribal. They describe that there's five levels in the way that people interact and relate with each other. Each level or each stage has its own culture and its own language. And for us to progress from one stage to the next, we have to go through each step. We can't jump from one to four or from three to five. We must go from one to two to two to three to three to four to three, four to five. Okay? Get the point? Five stages. Level one, life sucks. People like this say it's a dog-eat-dog world, every man for himself. If you die, well... Uh, I'm not going to be there with you trying to help you out. These kind of people end up in prison. They stay in prison because life sucks. Okay? Don't need to think about that too much. Second stage, my life sucks. Now, I hope that you're not one of these people, but you could be. All of us have been here at one point in time or another. Everybody else is living the dream. Everybody else got it going on. All my friends getting married, all my friends having babies, all my friends getting promoted, all my friends moving to their own house, all my friends buying a car. My boss is always on my case. And I never get anywhere because nobody appreciates me. And I don't even mount up to, because people don't understand the gift that I have. God doesn't answer my prayer. Stage two, my life sucks. There's a transition that needs to happen, which is most of what we've been talking about so far, into I am great. Now, rather we'd say this, with God, we're great, okay? But I am great. This is what most of us are aiming for because this is what most of us have been educated to aim for, that we need to become great. We need to rise to the top, be the best, look the best, earn the best, buy the best, hang out with the best because I'm the best. And when when we try, we might get to a certain point. You might get promoted real quick, and then you get to a level. And then you start to say things like, you know, I'm the best, and no one around here appreciates me, you know? You could be a doctor, like, I'm the best doctor, and all these nurses, they're just, like, not even with it. You might be a, a teacher, and, you know, I'm the best teacher, and these students just don't even appreciate me. You could come out with any kind of excuse, and I'm great, and you're not, and you're letting me down, and the whole system is against me and limiting me. But somewhere in there is this conviction, I've done what God, no, sorry, I've done what I've been told I need to do with my life. I'm great. When you hear Jesus say, if anybody desires 
to be great in the kingdom, you must become servant of all. And what do you do with that? <laughs> okay, Jesus, I'm going to be the greatest because I'm going to serve. And what we do really is rather than become the servant of all, which we're going to unpack in just a moment, we become the servant of our own self-interest. Okay, God, if I go a bit lower, will I get there? If I go a little bit lower, will I get there? If I go even lower, if I'm so low that my face is on the ground and I'm just like, glory to God, will you ascend me to the highest place? Because I'll do that if I get there. And all that service is about in that context is about making us great sometime later. Let's look at stage four. We're great. We're great is something very different. It's when people that have gone through the I'm great stage and don't love it anymore, they recognize that it's nothing in terms of what could be achieved, start to say this, we could be something together. They start to gather around values that start to make a difference like loving your neighbor and loving your enemy. How can we live that out? We start to gather corporately around being servants of all, not just servants of me and my own agenda. We start to say, you know what? It's more important for me to bring my strength to what we're doing than for me to be here on my own. Get what I'm saying? That's stage four thinking. You know, we have a stage four vision in this church to have disciples at every level of society, whether it be you great or small, living for the glory of Jesus. Stage five, life is great. Stage five is we are curing cancer. Stage five is we are ending world hunger. Stage five is we are bringing world peace. How about stage five is we are seeing London saved. We are seeing the kingdom of God here on the earth. The reason I've added this section in is because I want to come back to this final point today. I don't want you to walk out of here thinking, I am going to go out there and I'm going to become the greatest person of faith that there is. I'm the next Smith Wigglesworth. I'm going to be punching sickness, you know, and it's going to be leaving. I'm going to be picking up the dead and pinning them against the wall and shouting, be raised in Jesus' name, and it's going to happen. Yes, it might. Bless God that it does. We need more resurrection. But what about if we all understood this? That when we walk out of here today, not only are we to become individually great, but we're called to come back to sow into we are great. To sow into this community has learned what it is to walk in faith with God. So that anybody who comes into the community who's struggling with sickness, brokenness, lack, guys, what do I do? What we do here, we pray for you and see you healed. What we do here is we show you what it is to believe God and see God provide. What we do here is show you how to love. What we do. It's an act of faith for us to do it together. See, Jesus wants to raise the body, not raise superstar individuals. See, it's the same idea, concept as what we're seeing in Hebrews 12 verse 1. We're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses cheering us on, encouraging us, not individually, but the people, the people, the body of Christ. Jesus taught us what it is to live beyond individual greatness in the place of communal brilliance. 
Not only did he grow to greatness in the way that he demonstrated the kingdom on earth, but he invited every single one of his disciples into the same and sent out 12, sent out 70, sent out thousands to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a new opportunity for all of us. It's a new way of life. God partnering, allowing us to partner with him. Imagine this, if our community started to walk in a position where we believe God has saved cities. Where we even now were sponsoring people through life in a way that they would start to shake the way that we think in society. So many ways that we can start to think differently about faith. But all of it for one purpose, and I'll end with this. We're called to reveal the glory of God. None of this is for, us, for ourselves. None of this is so we can stand up here and be like, <laughs> I learned how to pray and see limbs grow out. Come on now. Appreciate God for that. <laughs> it's much more about all of us saying, wow, my mate got saved, had cancer, I prayed for them, saw them healed. But I learned from the community. Very different. Let me pray for you. Lord, I recognize that there's people here today, Father, that have been challenged in some way or another. Those that, Father, have the toe in the kingdom. They're way outside of your purposes for them because of their own decision. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would move upon their heart and you bring them right in. Enable them to see how they can start to fulfill your plan and purpose for their lives, Lord. Holy Spirit, Lord, we know that you can take the most broken, this 40 years blind guy, and use him in your purposes and plan. Put him right in the place where he can fulfill your goodness and glory. Lord, each one of us, whether we're 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, divorced, single, widowed, uh, single parents, whatever it might be, Lord, that you would just take us on that journey to walk out your plan and purpose for us. And Lord, we ask for that next step as well, that we wouldn't just rise to the point of individual brilliance, but rather we would step into the place of communal brilliance, where together, integrated as the body of Christ, we truly reveal the glory of Jesus. Lord, this series, help us step into a place of faith. Help us step into a place where we see the impossible becoming possible, the transcendent God that's emanating through the universe, revealing his kingdom here on the earth. Lord, shake us out of our apathy. Shake us out of our boredness and tiredness. This is not a boring place for us to be. It's not a boring opportunity that we have. We're serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Maybe we've got distracted by our circumstances and situations, Father. But Lord, shake us out of that, Father, right now. Shake us into a place of believing you. Shake us into a place of hungering for your plan, your purposes in our lives. And Lord, we give you all the glory for that which you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen.